0: and that's katie i think uh, and this is the circles and squares podcast episode 42 uh kate welcome to the show or should i say Monacuma? welcome to the show
1: <laughs> good morning everyone it's another beautiful day
0: <laughs> what an entrance can that be topped i don't i'm not sure that'll ever be topped uh what a costume, Kate. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm very, very warm in here. Um, but for those of you who are not uh, doing the YouTube formula, I have a very exciting Monokuma Halloween costume this year. Um, yeah. and, and for
0: those of you watching and not watching, I've also completely let the show down and not dressed up at all. So That's
1: okay. Uh, we balance I... out That's okay. I didn't one new
0: costume and one... one...
1: That's okay. Yeah. I, I didn't warn that's... you I would be doing this. This was partially a surprise for your, uh, for your pleasure as much as mine.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate it because that thing is blowing me away, and I wish I wish that I had like a Monomi one to sit here and match oh you Oh my
1: with. god, it would have
0: just been fantastic.
1: <laughs> thats like the worst but ultimate couples costume of all time to be Monokuma and Monomi.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. Oh, man. Okay, Kate, well, it's the Halloween episode of the show, so we've got some scary stuff to talk about. Uh, But before we do, I just have a little bit of housekeeping to go over. Um, First of all, thank you to one of our um, good friends and listeners of the show, Rob, for these fantastic PlayStation mugs. Uh, He hit us up with these the other day, and we're... Let me tell you rob this makes the coffee taste a lot better so thank you very much you're making the show just that a little bit better by giving us a delicious vessel for this delicious coffee so thank you (laughs) Um, and the second thing i wanted to mention just was that we do have our episodes of both of our new shows uh live the first episode of the circles and squares news report went live on uh, monday earlier in the week where we talked about the uncharted trailer the last of us uh, photos so please check that episode out Um, on our channel there and then also uh, circles and squares extra went live with our first episode of our off topic show where we talked to all about marvel's what if and what we thought of the first season Um, all that good stuff so check those out as well Um, but for now kate we've got a two-part show we're talking about the games we've been playing over the past couple of weeks and then for the second part of the show we're going to talk about our favorite scary video games and what we like about horror games in general so look forward to that later Um, Of course, we'll be ending the show with a listener mail question as well. Um, But before we get to any of that, Kate, let's talk about what we've been playing the last couple of weeks. Um, And you have something that I'm very interested in hearing about. um, Darkest Dungeon 2.
1: Yeah, so this is really exciting. It came to early access um, this past Tuesday. And so I picked it up on Epic. Um, This is something I was really anticipating because... I don't know if I've talked about it much on the show because it's been a while since I played, but um, I was really love and hate on the original Darkest Dungeon. I think the concept of it, um, the atmosphere, the art, there were so many things about the game that were an absolute 10 out of 10 for me and I just like was so in love with the idea of the game. But it was just such an oppressive kind of grindy slog to play sometimes that like, I don't always know if I was necessarily having fun playing it. And I I think I liked it more in concept than I I did totally in execution. Um, Yeah,
0: that's exactly the experience I had, too. I I played it. I think I actually talked about it on the show on one of our episodes. Um, But anyway, yeah, it's just one of those, like, the concept is so fun. Like, the you know, turn-based combat, that's all good. Like, the atmosphere, cool idea. But it was just, like, really dense and and not very, not hand-holdy, but not, not that you want it to be easy. But, like, I felt like there was a lot of information the game didn't really tell you. Um, lots of stats and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm hoping that they made it, you know, easier uh, to to get into while still keeping it that like deep level of, uh, you know, deep mechanics on the, on the, on the, under the hood, I guess I should say. <laughs> of yeah, the game.
1: absolutely. Not. And that's one of the first things I've noticed about this is it seems a lot more user friendly, which is a funny term to use because there's nothing friendly about, darkest dungeon it's still an absolutely like horrific oppressive atmosphere it's still the Lovecraftian like dungeon crawler that's all about you know exploring the idea of of how stressful something like this would be and the amount of PTSD your characters would accumulate you know going toe-to-toe with these like you know abominations but um it's definitely it feels a lot Easier to get into as, as a player. Like it's still got a lot of complicated systems going on. And I think especially if you haven't played the first one, it would be a little overwhelming to start out with. But I don't think I need seven spreadsheets open while I'm playing this time. So that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, seven <laughs>
0: spreadsheets, two wiki articles, and uh, a yeah, walkthrough of your yeah, someone who's beaten through. the game before. <laughs> exactly.
1: That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. Um so, yeah, they've, they've kind of kept the overall tone of the game. Um, it's still very much about, you know, making the best decision out of, um, you know, a slew of horrible options. And it's still all about, you know, the psychological aspect of, of what dungeon crawling would do to some mercenaries or or a group of characters. Um, but it, it is really kind of... They've approached it quite differently. Um, so I think the, the one thing that's kind of still seems very familiar from the first game is the combat and so if you haven't played the first game it's this really beautiful uh take on a turn-based combat system where you always go with a party of four characters and um all various different classes that have different abilities and what's unique about this is that they stand in a positioning line so from position one to four um the back of your party all the way up to the front. And based on where a character is in that positioning system, they have different options of how they approach combat. So, for example, you might have a character that has a melee attack, but they have to be in the front of the party in one of those first two positions to be able to use it. Uh, Whereas if they're in the back two positions, they may have a ranged attack that's then available to them instead. And so, building out your party is something you need to consider where each person's going to stand in that line. And you also have access to various things that might move you throughout uh, throughout a match. So you might have something where you want to start out in the back and then, you know, move forward as combat progresses. So there's a lot of really deep strategical elements just based around how that works um, partially in battle and partially also outside of battle while you're constructing your team. And I really like that because that mechanic to me it keeps every battle feeling unique. I never feel like I go into it with the exact same strategy or I just kind of spam the same moves every every round like of course, like, certain characters excel at certain things, so there is that similarity that falls over, but it always feels fresh, and I never feel like I can go into a match and, like, just kind of be, like, zoned out and doing, like, thinking mm-hmm. about something else, which I find tends to happen in a lot of turn-based combat games. And so... But- yeah,
0: this one's definitely got, like, a, a layer of extra... You, you you don't often have to worry about positioning of your characters in, like, turn-based RPGs. It's usually... That's usually a thing for, Like tactical games like XCOM or Final Fantasy Tactics or something it's not not like a traditional battle system thing so I think that's pretty cool
1: yeah it's really interesting and I really like to have certain like certain characters like you kind of always want to be at the front like we get a we have a tank unit as one of the four starting classes and like you don't want everyone to put your tank in the back but there are certain units that you really can kind of mix and match depending on what you want them to excel at given you know what what kind of role your team is missing And so I I think it's really elegant. So that's pretty much the same. I think they've simplified a little bit in terms of just how clear a lot of the information is and just how some of the status conditions work, which I'm personally a big fan of because I don't want to have to be doing complex math while I'm playing a video game. (laughs) So I'm a fan of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then the other big thing that kind of plays into battle although this is a mechanic that is very integral outside of battle as well as how the stress works and so that's kind of like darkest dungeons most defining mechanic is the stress meter so a lot of the time in battle like certain enemies will not even use damaging attacks they'll just use attacks that stress you out and in the original game you had a meter that went up
0: (laughs) that's <laughs> was such a funny sentence.
1: <laughs> it kind of is. If <laughs> you right? just
0: like were to take that <laughs> out of context, like that was <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> this is the horror episode, after all. Like, what if what if poor games want to do more than stress you out? Um <laughs> But uh yeah, so it's it's almost a more vital resource to keep track of than your health, even, is the stress. And in the original game, you're kinda you had a meter that sort of went up to a hundred, and it didn't really feel like there were a lot of like thresholds along the way. It was just kind of like, are you at a hundred or above and like you're fucking stressed or are you under a hundred and you're doing okay? Whereas this one, they've changed it to be a much smaller scale. And so each point matters more, uh, which I think is is mm-hmm. better for just kind of keeping it. That sounds it, much
0: more, her, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're just on your toes and it's just more of a resource you're managing the, throughout the whole campaign as opposed to like, well, I'm halfway through and now I'm stressed. So I should really be worrying about this. Um, yeah
0: or or being like well you know i'm at the start of the run like what's i can take like a few points of stress and not mm-hmm. really have any consequence and, and get these benefits because i don't have to worry about that yet
1: yeah exactly and the game is all about risk reward consequences um so they've kind of changed a lot of the other functions of the game uh gone is the hamlet you no longer return to like a town in between missions um the premise is now that you're sort of scaling this mountain so you're constantly on the move there's no like upgrading your hub area that doesn't exist um so that feels streamlined as well and it also feels like more of a clear roguelite framework which I personally like uh, I feel like the first game could be a little bit grindy sometimes because it wasn't always clear how you were progressing you'd go on a mission and like you your characters would end up like worse for wear most of the time when they came back and you just get a little bit of like different currencies you'd use and like okay well my like, you know, like my tavern is slightly better now Mm -hmm. and like, you know, know, I can hold one more item at the store. And so like there was progression for sure, but it didn't, it wasn't quite as tangible. Uh, Whereas now it feels really clear, like each character is upgrading skills as you go along with the currency. You have like um, an actual, like, I guess it's like tied to your account, a level and every level you go up, you get unlocks to different things, whether that's different class types or different, um, like, Items that you're able to uh, equip to your characters or like consumables, so it it's very clear the progression, which feels nice because oftentimes the runs end in absolute tragedy. Um, so it's good to feel like you most of the time, well, yeah, most of the time. Um, but it's good to feel like you accomplish something on that run regardless because everything else has has kind of gone up. So again, like eh, it's up to interpretation. I personally like those things being a little more simplified because. To me, what I'm focusing on and kind of the draw for the game is being encouraged now through the relationship system and uh, this kind of new status as they've given it. So for me, what's the what the biggest draw is for this kind of game is the character relations, um, how the character growth and how they change over time. So in the first game, I feel like you were constantly kind of switching units in and out and there wasn't a lot of attachment to each individual character. It was kind of more like... You could just buy and hire units whenever you wanted and if they got a bad condition then you just like the XCOM system exactly and they they got a bad condition you just sort of throw them out and buy someone new because that was cheaper than you know taking them to the sanitarium and getting them all like you know sorted out like therapists are very expensive in the darkest dungeon universe and we just can't afford it so (laughs) so you just hire someone else (laughs) um
0: it's like the monty python thing like bring out your dead
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly um but like bring out your dead now the only way you can actually get rid of a unit is if they die there's no longer a way to, like, dismiss them. They're with you until the end. Um, and you also cannot have multiple of the same type of unit. So that means if, if you have the Plague Doctor unit, which is the healer that you start out with, and, you know, he gets a little stressed and has some issues on the first run, you're stuck with him. You're invested in this character. You have to put your points into, to, you know, making him feel better because otherwise you don't have a Plague Doctor. And I personally mm. really like that because I think a lot of the mechanics in this game and the beauty of it is exploring that, like, we know, what happened to them and all these negative aspects and the PTSD and, and the struggles that they go through. Because then when you have a moment where they really, like, shine and they overcome that, it's, it's meaningful and you can't have, you know, you can't have it both ways. And so the relationship status, I think, along with how you recruit units really, like, emphasizes this as a core part of the game and what happens the relationships now is as your party is journeying they start to build either friendship or um hatred <laughs> between the rest of the <laughs> characters um ideally friendship and if you can build that up they start to help each other out during battle they might kind of heal each other on opposing turns or, or try to like give various buffs um and then vice versa if, if they hate each other they might start to try to like You know, do really horrible, petty things. Like, I'm not going to heal that person. I hate (laughs) him. And like, you know, taking your potion. Exactly. So there's some some deceit goes on, and there's various ways that you can kind of control this. And in terms of like, you know, using items to help them bond, or uh, some you'll you'll be making story decisions, and each character will kind of give what how they want to approach the situation, and you kind of have to choose not only what you want to do as a player, like, you know, certain outcomes are better for you like you might want to go this place that has the chest because I really want some more loot or maybe I want to go down the safer route because I don't want to fight I'm kind of I feel like I'm dying but each character is going to weigh in and be like well I want to go this way and so mm-hmm. that's also something you need to take into consideration they kind of feel like they actually have a personality that you have to play around
0: right and it's important to keep them somewhat satisfied too because you're going to rely on them to keep your yourself alive
1: exactly and so I, I really like this new role-playing element to the game. Um, I know it's not for everyone. I know some people really like the more, like, numbers-heavy, kind of, like, optimization sort of aspect of the game. And, you know, that's still there in one. But I, I think this is kind of more the vision of how they, they wanted one to be approached. It will be a little more character-driven. And, and so I personally am all for it. I think it's fantastic. Um, and I'll, I'll leave you with a little story of how my first official run went, and so I named my group uh, the four of us after me and three friends because obviously what better way to you have, uh, to, you have, <laughs> you to. have to do the XCOM approach. And so one of my characters right off the bat, uh, he was like the tall, dark, mysterious dude. And he had like a negative personality trait where he's just like really antisocial. <laughs> so he immediately was like, no, I don't want to hang out with you guys. Um, and then we had another guy, our, our doctor, our plague doctor. He was like he had a really weird bloodlust and everything he wanted to do was just like go fight and so he was like he really wanted to join fight club and then my character and our tank we played we played like darts at the start before we left out of the tavern and so we were immediately best friends so we're on our way like everyone's doing pretty well no one's too stressed we're all healthy Uh, me and the tank are having a good time the tank did really well in a battle like got a crit and killed someone and that impressed wannabe fight club doctor so now he was on board (laughs) in the friendship you know everything's going well Um, our highwayman the antisocial one realized you know but it might be nice to cultivate a relationship I'm kind of isolating myself here so he you know he took a first step and he told my character that well at least you don't snore so you know, <laughs> for some people that- That's so
0: passive aggressive.
1: It really is. But, you know, for some people that's something. And I would consider the first, like, maybe 20 minutes, like, just an absolute, like, we were the chosen ones. We were on our way, like, flying the eagles to Mordor, Everything was amazing. And then we got ambushed by uh, by some dudes in the woods. And our tank died. He, he got a couple unlucky crits in a row and he just fell. And the party never recovered. We spent the rest of the journey exceptionally stressed. I had a meltdown on the road because I was hungry, which, like, to be fair, I might do in real life. <laughs> um, but we managed to scrape by. We had a decent amount of healing, so we made it to the final fight on the map. It was against these pretty devious cultists, and we felt a little we felt a little outmatched, especially a man down. So during the fight all three of us had individual meltdowns. Uh, We all officially declared how much we hated each other and uh, gained official, tumultuous friendship status. (laughs) And then we all died. (laughs) Oh, rip. Yep. And so- Oh, man. That's been my my experience with Darkest Dungeon 2 right now. And I can tell you, based off of that, I absolutely love the direction of this game and I cannot wait to play some more. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. It sounds like mm-hmm. a good time. It sounds like they really improved on some of the flaws of the first one. Um, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. I hope you get the. You're gonna get I, the full release then, obviously. And report well, yeah.
1: And- so I, I think with buying the early access, I've bought the game. I just now have, oh, okay. I have access. Um, but I will say, yeah, just to mention as well too that it isn't early access. So everything I've said, there's obviously a lot of balancing things that that need to get done. Um, the systems aren't perfect yet. So I, I didn't really want to go into that detail because that's to be expected with the state of the game right now Mm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to talk about them more broadly in terms of the direction of the game and it'll get refined and and ironed out as it goes Um, so yeah it is an early access Uh, it's only a small portion of the game not everything's available and the things that are there are subject to be improved on or tweaked a bit so um, I know a lot of people you know are talking about online about numbers and you know what's too strong what's too weak and and that's definitely like you know something that
0: well, that's part of the reason they're doing the beta, right? It's to to get people's impressions of this stuff so that they can fix it and and optimize it for that audience.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, just looking at broadly the game, I have a lot of, of high expectations going forward.
0: Glad to hear it. Uh, that sounds like a good, good time. I'd like to try that eventually, too. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, Kate, I want to tell you about uh, my update on Metroid Dread because I know I talked about this on the show last time. Uh But I thought that this was, especially for the Halloween episode, an important one to come back and revisit because I did manage to finally beat the game last night. Uh, I clocked in at just under eight and a half hours, um, which I think is a little longer than average, but I mean, I just took my time a little bit, explored around, you know, I'm not, I'm not like the best player, but I I made it through. (laughs) Um, And overall, like, yeah, I just want to continue and, and say like the same sentiment I really had last time, which is that I really love this game. I think it's easily... Um, For me, at least, a top Switch game that Nintendo's uh, released the last I don't know few years, and I think that it wouldn't be crazy to see this on Game of the Year list at the end of the year. I I mean, I I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna win. We were talking about that a bit last time about how it's kind of one of those years where there's not not one thing jumping out super strongly, but this definitely could be on the list. I think, and um, I mean, it was just a great time. I I think um, I want to talk a little bit more just about a couple things, which is firstly, like a lot of people talk about the difficulty with this game and. And I've seen a lot of varying opinions ranging from like, you know, it, it's just kind of a standard Metroidvania type thing to like, don't buy this game. It's too hard. And it's interesting because as you're like the Souls person and Souls get a, <laughs> get a lot of conversation generated around this type of, type of thing. And I, I don't know, like if there's a lot of intersections and I, I guess it's like not entirely one-to-one comparable, but a lot of the premises are the same. I guess, regarding, like, having to run back and dying and overcoming challenges and whatnot. So I think this game has a good mix of that. Like, it's it's really well checkpointed. I think the save points are really really well. Um, They obviously know where the points are going to be in the game where you're probably going to die a lot, so you're always, you know, kind of right back there as much as you can be. And to me, that worked out just fine. I think, um, I mean... I could see definitely getting stuck at some of these points to where you would want to put the game down. But I guess luckily for me, maybe that just didn't happen, but I, I had a good time overcoming um, those challenges, even though they weren't like, I I never had like a, like a really frustrating, like want to throw the controller down type of moment um, with this game, which is, which is nice. But that, I mean, I definitely had some like, Oh man, I have to fight that boss again and again to kind of, kind of learn, but it it was a good experience. Um, Speaking of the bosses, though, one of the things I I did want to touch on was that I think that's maybe an area where the game did let me down slightly. And I want to qualify that because the game has a few different styles of boss and a few different... Uh, types like they have some I I won't spoil any names there's some returning Metroid kind of bosses that you would know if you're a fan of the series and those are all really cool because they're like you know bespoke encounters with that one boss who's got their you know moveset and everything but then there's some other kind of boss encounters where you fight these like these uh, they're just called war there's a certain type of warrior I won't spoil it but they're they're kind of they're they're those cookie cutter kind of fights where once you fought one you've kind of fought all of them with the exception of they might have like one or two different moves here and there <laughs> and that happens en- enough i've done this one too many times maybe by the end and mm, so i found those the, fights in particular the god of war tr- the
1: god of war trolls issue
0: <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah. kind of like that kind of like that i mean the fight the fights were fun it's not like it's not you know fun yeah. to pull it off and see what skill you earn for beating it but i definitely fought maybe a few more of those than i would have wanted But, um, I mean, yeah, by the end of the game though, like you're just such a powerhouse and aside from those bosses, you're just, you know, for those that have played Metroid on any level and kind of, you know, got those final end game type of abilities, like you're just a flying ball of death going around the screen. (laughs) Like it's so easy to go and go and explore for the most part and fill out that map if you want to, because you just, you're really invincible as long as you you found enough kind of health pickups and, and everything, but you're, you're going to be good. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm going to plan to go back and, you know, 100% and find all the different collectibles and everything. There's a hard mode that unlocks, too, when you beat the game. And so I would imagine um, I'll probably go back and try that at some point. Who knows if I'll make it all the way through, though, because like I said, this game is definitely not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. Although it's I, I wouldn't say it's like backbreaking either. But um, it's just cool that they're, they, that especially for a game that's not the lengthiest experience for a full-price game, that they seem to have at least... Um, you know, that extra mode put in there, there's obviously a lot of speed running stuff for people that are interested in that. Um, I've seen some people getting to like three hours and uh, run not to beat wow. the game and like, holy shit, like that is intense. I couldn't imagine how well you must have to execute. But um, all in all, like I, I think it's a great uh, experience, especially for someone that would be new to the series. I think you might have a bit of trouble at the start, just kind of learning the language, but the game just directs you so well. And I think that's something that I really appreciate, like another metroidvania that i've referenced i've been playing so many times on the show castlevania symphony of the night is like i've kind of been comparing them along the way in like super metroid as well and i find that this game for whatever reason it just really checkpoints you super super well of where you're supposed to go next in terms of like the next main objective and there are options to go off and explore and like look around and go back to previous areas with the new abilities and see what you find but the game always or I feel for the majority of the time, like if you open up your map and just based on the context of what's going on, you're you're kind of always pointed to the next objective really well. And because the map is so big and it can be intimidating, I think that that's a really good thing because I think this, a lot of people will turn this type of thing off when they're like, oh, I don't know where the hell I'm going. Like this map is a maze. Um, I've died to this boss a couple of times and I'm just going to yeah. give up. Either, and so I, I think either... it does a good job of shielding you from that.
1: Yeah. And the other issue with that kind of thing too is, that if you don't really know where you need to go, it's possible that you start to look it up and then you're kind of following a guide. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in those kind of games like that are so exploration focused, you don't want people to be not experiencing that for themselves, right? Like you want to be exploring, you want to have that like aha moment when you find out somewhere you could go or you realize that like, oh, hang on, I can break that wall now. And and those are moments in Metroidvania that I think What kind of makes the genre special and so if you're just following a guide because you're frustrated you don't know where to go that sort of you know like ruins the experience a little bit for you but at the same time if you can't figure out where you need to go without a guide that's also an issue so you want to find that like happy medium where you never really feel stuck but you always feel like you figured it out
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it, and I think that's that's pretty much what this game. I, I feel it hits the balance really well. So I'm in, I'm interested now to go back and kind mm-hmm. of look through um, other people's experience and listen to like spoiler podcasts and spoiler content on this game because I feel like uh, there's a there's a kind of a wide range of opinions on the nitty gritties of this game, despite like overall it being really well liked. Um, man, the ending is really cool, by the way, like story wise for Metroid, and just. Kind of the visuals of it and that final little sequence, like it is very cool. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really impressed, and I, I just hope this leads to more uh, more Metroid from Nintendo now, especially Mercury Steam. I think knocked it out of the park with this game, and so I would love to see them take kind of the the bones of this and continue on with like maybe another another couple 2D Metroids on the Switch. Come on, let's uh let's hope for it mm-hmm. because this was great.
1: Well, you need something um, to tie you over for Prime Four as well, because right, uh, yeah. I mean, who knows when that's I'll tell coming you, out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> man but this this just has me excited for that um i'm I'm really hoping that that metroid prime trilogy ends up being real because i would love to to go back and do those so maybe maybe i'll go back and play more of the 2d metroids i've missed because i've i've not played them all so maybe this is lit that that bit of a fire but we will Mm -hmm. see um yeah that's that's metroid though play it play it for sure you
1: will lend it to (laughs)
0: me i will i'll give it to you very shortly um yeah, I've also been playing Kate. This is not a scary game, although I guess they do kind of wear costumes. Um <laughs> I've been playing NHL 21, <laughs> uh, which is not that, really a Halloween game. That
1: is a costume you could wear for Halloween, so um
0: You could you, yeah, could. you could um But for them it's for them it's a uniform, and so uh this is of course the uh, hockey game which comes out from ea sports every week uh or every, every, week. Week, every
1: week jeez. <laughs> every week sometimes <laughs> yeah. it feels that way
0: <laughs> it feels that way for these sports games sometimes yeah but uh, this is nhl 21 uh, we don't talk about a lot of sports stuff on the show in fact when we do it's usually under the context of like this was free on ps plus and i have no idea what yes. i'm doing
1: o- occasionally we but, are forced uh... to play tennis and and we we begrudgingly do so yeah
0: <laughs> Exactly, but I am a big NHL fan, as people probably know, Um, and I play the NHL games every year to varying degrees. Sometimes I get really, you know, really into them, obsessed for a while. Sometimes I play more than others, but um, I've been playing this one for the last couple weeks and really having a good time. I honestly think this is one of the better ones they've done in a while, and I think that the sports games really get bagged on for, like, it's the same thing every year, and I'm one of those people that bags on them for exactly that, because I think they are mostly the same thing every year, and it's it's not really worth like, you know, ninety percent of the mechanics being the same and whatnot. But um, I mean, this game definitely has some of that as well. But I think there's a lot of just really positive changes that I've I've enjoyed and it's really sucked me in. Um, specifically, there's this this thing called the hockey ultimate team mode, which is something I've never really played before, and so I don't know exactly how different it is compared to other years but this is the mode which does have the microtransactions and you're buying like the booster packs of cards and whatnot and and uh collecting those i haven't spent a dollar don't worry <laughs> but yeah you can you can like earn the oh, in game I, I thought this mode. is
1: how we were steering back to halloween <laughs> no
0: <laughs> yeah but uh, it's it's just been really fun to like go through and collect those the packs and like do the do the challenges and whatnot that you earn from them. There's like so many different ways to to do this stuff. So you're basically like building your roster of players from the cards you open up these collectible packs. But then you take your team, and do challenges. So you'll be playing like you know different teams from all around. It's not just NHL teams. It's also from like all over globally, wherever hockey's played, they have, in professional sense, they have teams from all over the place and you're playing different different rosters and there's different challenges you've got to complete along the same way, It'll, It's which is what I really appreciate a lot because I think a lot of the time, like I don't play these games online because people are just so damn good at it and also my internet sucks and I'm just way too laggy to, to get to play, but playing against the computer can be really frustrating because I feel like the difficulties either like I steamroll them or I have, have like no chance and I can never... You know, do anything and I just lose instantly. And so, like, get, getting these challenges to do makes it more fun. It'll be like, you know, win the game, but um, you can't take any penalties and you have to score two goals or something like that, or, okay. um, you know, hit 10 people before the end of the game. And the they're short form, like, they make the games like one or two minutes long each. You're trying to complete these tasks as well as win at the same time. And it just adds that little level of like arcadey trying to go out of your way to do things you wouldn't normally do which mm-hmm. uh, I, I think is a fun incentive to make it a bit more uh, replayable, less repetitive. And so I, I think that, that that's what's kind of keep me uh, kept me coming back to it. And they also have another thing, which is uh, along the same lines, but they have like this three on three mode in there as well, where you don't really use the cards that you have um, that you've collected, but you do something like, you know, in, in the TCGs, they do like, um, like booster drafts and stuff yep. where you'll you'll mm-hmm. go and like everyone opens up and takes a carb they kind of have something like that for this three-on-three mode as well where you'll um it'll be like a week-long event and however many points you over that week you'll like earn a certain reward but you don't use your team you do essentially what's like a booster draft and you draft like a goalie a defenseman and like a couple forwards out of these packs and these players come up they have like historical players they have current players and you're kind of one by one picking your team which for this week you get to use them and then you they're gone next week and you just do it again but the the three-on-three mode they have for this uh this is so specifically like really really arcadey there's no rules uh they have like the the arenas you're playing in are like sometimes they're outside or they're decorated differently or there's like funny announcers or mm-hmm. these graphics that would not be used to show like the score and they're they're kind of like that um what's that lo-fi like synth kind of vibe like okay. like those yep. purples and neon it. colors and all that mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like something you would see in the presentation of like a no. normal setting
1: and that sounds like the exact opposite of that golf game that you were talking about last episode where you said it was like so sterile and so heartless and it was just the ultimate like we made a sports game and like if you like golf you'll play it but it is no like soul otherwise so this sounds like the opposite (laughs) where like there is some kind of there's like an artistic direction in addition to it being a sports game
0: yeah there totally is and and like especially i think it's this three on three mode with like that's maybe uh really had that feeling like because like hockey has so many rules to it and it if you have to understand those to play it but the three on three mode like you could you could pick this up with anybody you could like do anything you want there's no there's no penalties at all like it just encourages you to create as much mayhem as you can and there's like there's right. score multiple so there's what you're like you could score a goal and it's worth 100 points but if you pass to someone then he does a spinorama and then shoots between his legs those, those like stack together as multipliers and you is earn that, extra is points that so rule? you're almost trying to like chain is that these, a rule you're not normal to spin together.
1: around in hockey <laughs> you can do whatever <laughs> no, you is, want it... you can spin around you can kill a man just put the puck in the net who yeah, cares <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> it's just a good time though like i've i've had a really good time um just fooling around with all these different things, and and somewhat like as much as I hate the microtransaction type of thing, and like I would never want to pay for these digital trading cards that when NHL 23 comes out or 22 comes out next year, they're just gone and forever, you know, deleted off my hard drive. Like it, it's oh, as long as I'm <laughs> earning the currency through the game and like doing these, uh playing the modes that I'm just enjoying, then it is fun to like open those packs mm-hmm. and get players that I know and you know add them to my squad, just like you would in like a like a Pokemon TCG or something when you get a sick blast toys or something like that <laughs> um, which is cool um but yeah i mean i i've i think it's great I, I really enjoyed how fast it loads on ps5 also like the some of the simulation when you're doing like your there's a management sim mode as well where you can run your team and you know sign players and upgrade your parking lot and your bathroom at your oh, <laughs> at your nice. uh, arena and stuff like that that's worth
1: five real cool, dollars but, for sure
0: Oh, <laughs> well, <it>, exactly exactly <laughs> but it's just that whole mode like it, it used to be so painful to play sometimes just because it would be You'd sit there and it'd simulate like in the background for minutes and you could go and, you know, play a game of chess in the background (laughs) and then come back and and see what had happened. But in this one, like on PS5, obviously, it's so much faster. You can um, it, it does it almost instantaneously. Like it's just such a better experience in terms of like how the game runs as well. But I do have one negative, Kate, and it's something that we have not had happen on the show too many times. I have had my first really negative DualSense experience. Really? Playing NHL 21.
1: Ooh. I have and I, am you shocked.
0: Know, I I'm I'm a little shocked too and I and I feel like this is the first you know back when like the DS was first coming out and it was like why do we have to put touch controls in games that don't need right. them? And yeah. it kind of overused and and it's just like this is I see what you were going for but it's just too much. And I feel like this is what's happened with this game on the DualSense. It's just overdone i mean first of all um the the vibration they they tried to go for something really cool which is like when you're skating around um you the left and right handles of the controller are almost like the blades of your skate so it's supposed to be like as your player moves left right left right you can you're supposed to be able to feel like the skating motion in the controller and i it you kind of do but the problem is is the controller is always facing like the same direction right you're always holding it oriented the same mm-hmm. way but your player might be skating like from right to left or like down the ice or something right. and so it doesn't always line up with where they're going and it just ends up feeling like your controller is kind of just randomly vibrating um hmm. which is which is weird and like if you're skating you know upwards with one player but then you switch to a different player and he's like going backwards on a different part of the ice your controller is just kind of changes and it's a little bit disorienting right. I ended up that sounds to turn it off that
1: distracting more so than anything. it was it was yeah
0: yeah and then also like the the other thing too is that the they use the speaker for some really cool ideas they just it's just so loud it's just it's pretty uh like when you score a goal for example the um the there'll be music played in the arena but it comes out of the speaker not on the tv so okay. your controller just starts blaring this music and uh sometimes like your coach starts yelling at you through the controller you'll he'll be like hey come for a line change or like you know like shoot the puck or something he'll like yell at you through the controller and it's just kind of like dude shut up i'm trying to just play my game okay just let me relax this is not the real nhl um, I just want to do what I want to do. So I ended up having to turn some of that stuff down and tweak it a little bit just because it was like, you know, I just don't overdo it like this. I feel this mm-hmm. is the name of the,
1: game. yeah, um, that's a little bit of so ab- abrasive.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate, but I mean, um, easily fixed, right. Easily fixed. But I just thought I should shout that out because we always are talking the dual sense up so much. Um, I think it's important to call it out when it's not used so perfectly mm-hmm. also. But, um, yeah, for, for those of you who are listening, if you're a hockey fan at all, um, NHL 21, I would say, is is a well-spent well, well spent investment if you're looking for, you know, getting back into a hockey game, especially if you haven't played for a couple of years. Um, I think it's worth it. If you play every year and you're kind of, like, on the fence, not a huge fan, you know, here and there, could probably miss it. But, I mean, for me, huge fan, really enjoying it. Good game. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's NHL 21. Um, Kate, we have... A second part of the show to move into though uh, because it is halloween we wanted to celebrate and spend some time talking about our favorite scary video games or scary moments in games you know just maybe kind of horror games in general um i know you're definitely a little bit more experienced with them than me kate so i don't know maybe you have a place you want to start with this but uh i don't know what's your favorite scary game would
1: Yeah, so this is an interesting thing, and I I almost kind of, like, maybe thought too much about it um, when we were deciding we'd talk about scary games today, because I, I think, like, it's almost there's, like, the horror game genre, and then there's games that, and moments in games that I find scary. And there's definitely some successful horror games and some games that, like, I really like, but... I honestly think that like some of the scariest moments in games have come from games that are not strictly horror games for me and I think that's a lot to do with like how the context is framed because mm-hmm. for me like what's really scary in a, in a game is when I start to feel like helpless or that like the rules have been changed on me and that I I no longer like feel confident or safe in what i'm going to do and a lot of the time in a horror game you you don't have that sense of like you're powerful and there's always something lurking around the corner but it isn't mm-hmm. unexpected that's exactly what you you know you're getting yourself into whereas in other games that are not strictly horror games but have a horror section or a section that surprises you with some horror elements i find those tend to be scarier because you're caught off guard by them mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's the same thing as like, unless the atmosphere has done really well, like I think Mm -hmm. of a game like Amnesia, like I know I'm going into a scary experience, but like that game's just fucking scary, like (laughs) no matter what you're expecting, you know. Amnesia was a fantastic game.
1: Amnesia was fantastic and I think it did a lot for the horror genre and it's kind of spawned my favorite type of horror game when I specifically sit down to play a horror game um and of course when i say sit down to play a horror game i mean with at least two friends uh because yeah. i will never with play one alone on? <laughs> exactly no we turn the lights off we are good about that turn the lights off but no headphones no on my own you know we're surrounded we're we're swapping <laughs> I the controllers. A horror game oh i don't know how people headset look. on oh.
0: i actually did that <laughs> just for a little bit with resident evil 2 remake like i played uh-huh. a few sessions with a headset i was playing actually well one of my friends was on the on the like watching me um screen share or whatever so mm-hmm. it wasn't totally alone but the, having the surround sound like that yeah. adds such a level of creepiness and immersion to like to what you're doing hearing like yeah. zombies coming up behind you and all this kind of stuff like it was very intense it is and i, I do have so not, much respect
1: i do not know how people go one step further and do the vr like that's just oh, outrageous yeah. to me like props on you if you can handle that i think i'd be an asylum if if i had to <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's it's no funny good.
0: though it's funny because I I love horror movies like it's mm-hmm. one of my horror is one of my favorite movie genres but when it comes to games I find it so much more unappealing almost and I think for me a big thing is always it's because you can't have any kind of break in a game you can't look away for that split second or close your eyes or something because you're you are the protagonist like you're in the game if you don't play it mm-hmm. you're just gonna die or you know have to restart and do it again anyways so the fact that you actually have to experience every second of it and be in control and and you're not just watching someone make stupid decisions on a on like a cheesy horror movie you're actually (laughs) trying not to make the stupid decisions and it's stressful and intense and you you know they're pressure filled a lot of the time too
1: yeah absolutely and i think that's what what draws me to them is i really like them socially I think it's fun when you're passing the controller around and that one person who's playing is like tense and they're like, oh, I don't wanna go around the corner. and And you know that they're like having that stressful feeling. And the, the experience of like sharing that, so you're never like playing for too long and it, you're getting fatigued by it. And it's also like, I don't know, it's just kind of a fun thing. Like it's fun to see your friend get scared and you bug them about it and you're making fun of them. And then everybody's like shit talking the enemies because like that's how, you, that's how you deal with them and you make them less scary in your mind. So that, that to me is really <laughs> what, what draws me to horror games. I really like them as, as a social thing. Um, and it's funny you bring up amnesia because that is the one horror game I actually played on my own just because I was, I was so interested in the game and I kind of got hooked it's on it. It's a hell of a the,
0: one to pick to do by yourself. Yeah.
1: And I, I kind of got hooked on the story. So I, I didn't, I don't think I ever played it when I was alone, but I played it on my own while I was with someone who was doing something else. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of double dipped a little bit it maybe is a little disingenuous to say I was I totally played it on my own but it was just me playing the whole time and that game was phenomenal I love what it did with the idea of like you know you have no options to deal with the monsters you are completely at their mercy you're skulking around you are powerless and just that that like survival instinct that's all you have is really powerful mm-hmm. and I, I love the genre it spawned from that um, probably the scariest game I think I'd the scariest horror game I've ever played has got to be outlast um specifically, mm, I've heard a lot of stuff about that, specifically yeah. the DLC and it's another one of those amnesia type scenarios where you don't have any weapons um, you're sneaking around like you've got the infrared camera that you gotta like kind of look through but also preserve the battery so you can't use it too much and so that's another level of tension to the game which i think is really clever um, and it was genuinely terrifying there's one point in the dlc where like you get caught by this like crazy guy in the asylum and he like chops
0: <laughs> Great. i think
1: he like cuts your leg i kind of i'm not exactly sure what he does to you but he injures you somehow um he's trying to like mutilate you and you end up getting away but you're injured so now you cannot run you can only limp very slowly and you have to get out of this area where he's he sort of got you trapped but Mm -hmm, you are mm -hmm. you are incredibly slow now so like normally in a horror game like sometimes you can run away and you can outrun the monster and find somewhere to hide and then there's that like oh i'm so scared like they're looking for you like they might look under the bed you're hiding under like you're not totally safe but you had an option Whereas when you're hobbling around in that area, if that guy sees you, you're done for. You are not yeah, you hobbling your way to safety. So I, I think that I remember being absolutely terrifying. But at the same time, it was pretty. It was one of the first horror games I played, and so I feel like I've kind of become a little bit desensitized to them. They, they There's don't definitely some me. overlap
0: with some. You know, like you get used to the certain kind of like, oh, I'm running from this guy now. Where's something I can hide underneath? type mm-hmm. of deal like you've done it more than once now it reminds me of my experience actually you you're describing that very similar to one of my favorite horror games it's definitely not like a, a super scary one but it was little nightmares
1: I played mm-hmm. it a couple
0: years ago actually me and ash played it together and the whole like tim burton kind of aesthetic to it and you know it's, it's it's creepy in that kind of animated cartoon way but the whole thing about like you said before like being powerless you don't have any weapons in that game if you get caught by whatever is chasing you you're going to be in trouble and so it really is about, like, sneaking around, yeah, hiding under the bed, you know, making sure the enemy's looking the other way. But there's some really grotesque-looking creatures and situations you run into in that game, which is really off-putting. And just, just again, like, being in that pressure situation and and knowing you can't get caught, like, it is, it's terrifying in some spots. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, another—it's interesting, though, because I would say one of the scariest games I've played recently— I haven't played a ton of horror recently, but I actually found Control to be pretty— creepy mm-hmm. and it's interesting to juxtapose it because in control you're you're far from powerless like you have quite a few weapons and abilities you get like you're you're you can fight but even still like the the setting more so in that game was just so intense and psychologically uh mysterious and you know they're connecting to this other worldly plane and you know who who's really being possessed who's where where is everyone at like it's just so cerebral the way they present the story mm-hmm. in that game and even though you're powerful, it's just like you—you're tense to see what kind of possessed essence will be around, like the next major plot point and stuff like that. And it's just really compelling, but but off-putting. And I—it's very like ugh, you know, makes you just feel <laughs> kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, you
1: just you get some shivers in your skin.
0: Yeah, yeah, genuinely though, genuinely.
1: Definitely, and and I think there there's definitely certain games I have that like I've been playing a lot of Returnal recently, obviously, and Returnal is it's definitely like an atmospheric and, and kind of Lovecraftian sort of like, you know, like unsettling atmosphere going on. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily scary as you're playing, right? Like it's a, it's very mm-hmm. vibrant. A lot of the colors, like the monsters are more interesting than scary looking. Um, they're amazing designs, but they're not intended to be super scary. And like the music is more like unsettling than it is really like scary and there's not really jump scares and that kind yeah, of thing Yeah, yeah. but every now and again you have that section where you walk by your house because um, spoiler your house is on this uh alien planet never a good sign i think um, that was in a trailer it is in the trailer yeah I think. there is a yeah, yeah. scene in the trailer where you go in your house so yeah it's typically it's locked um but every now and again to pick what usually i think it's due to some progression your house is unlocked and when you go in your house you walk slowly you can interact with objects you don't have your gun with you and it is genuinely terrifying when you're walking around your house because some crazy like messed up like psychological shits happening to you and i I, you know you're in the middle of a run you've been running and gunning you're having a good time it's really action focused and then you walk by your house and then you see it's unlocked and you go like oh shit like i'm not ready for this (laughs) and and it's genuinely terrifying but I think it also comes kind of back to what I'm saying like expectations. Like when I sit down to re- to play Returnal, mm-hmm. I'm not expecting mm-hmm. to go in the house. I'm expecting to you know be be playing the game, which is what you do for ninety eight percent of the time. But because it's those little moments that you don't have time to, to sit down for, or to like you know assume that that's what you're going to end up doing, it's like oh, it's so it's so disturbing. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I think I think that's a really key aspect, like we were saying before. And I think games that do a really good job of that. like I even think of Metroid like just playing that. Like that game is not a horror game, but it's definitely. Got some scary parts to it. There's a few jump scares, you know, like the S.A.X. back in Metroid Fusion. Even was one of the scariest things, like one of the first scary moments in a game I'd ever experienced. So there's that kind of thing. I think um Bioshock's another good example yes. of that, where the you know, the, it's not a horror game, but but I mean, coming out when you when you get in that first initial plane crash, you go in the water mm-hmm. and then you initially enter Rapture. I remember just encountering that first enemy who's kind of yelling at you as you step out, and it's it's very intimidating. yeah, and he's like, like trying just, to
1: crack through the glass of the like yeah. elevator in. Yeah, it sets yeah, the tone. Like
0: that set a tone really well yeah very scary
1: that game genuinely yeah the big is like not so much but just like the individual splice hernies, especially the ones that like crawl on the ceiling they were yeah oh. and even like
0: the little girls and stuff or the what are they call little, sisters, yeah, the little like, sisters like those those are terrifying too you know and yeah in a different way and and just like kind of the, the people that are clearly getting they're like malnourished and kind of fused with all that what do they call it those energy things that give the you the atom. powers but they're just it's just gr- a little grotesque you yeah know? and, and un- there's that guy coming down the stairs in that one part and with all the dummies around his house like what the hell yeah. is that about
1: and i think it's like yeah all the npcs you meet are really unhinged like they're unpredictable mm-hmm. like you don't feel like you feel like at any time they might just like stab you <laughs> like you're never safe in that game <laughs> which
0: several of the men tra- several, several of try. them do try to do so.
1: absolutely absolutely um i i think another like franchise that i think we really need to or at least I, I need to touch on just because I've played recently as well is is the Resident Evil series and it's interesting because yes, you've yeah. played some of the some of the remakes some of the older games and I've played the two most recent ones and so well, I've only
0: played two remakes so oh, okay so, so yeah for what it's worth it's only the one game but yeah. you played
1: two and and I've played seven and eight and so seven was really scary Um that was probably like the pinnacle of like when I was getting really into horror games and seven is just the whole premise is like the crazy like southern family that oh, you, so you get caught up with I do want to play that like,
0: game yeah it, That's it's one of the ones high on my list for it's
1: definitely for sure. really good like the, the story gets really goofy and silly and like maybe I don't think the ending is quite as scary as the as the first half of the game but the first half is is genuinely terrifying walking around in that house and like all oh, like the weird <laughs> monstrosities you're coming across I'm already but
0: getting goosebumps about I, it I gotta be honest
1: I genuinely think the scariest part of that game is is kind of before the family started turning into monsters And Mm. you kind of got in the, like, boss battle shootout kind of thing. I think the scariest part of the game is at the very beginning when you get there, and they're just, like, this creepy, unhinged family. And I don't know if that's maybe just my preference or or what, but I think...
0: I think it's more tangible, though, for the real world. Like, you could envision a scenario where you are actually in that situation yeah exactly. the more supernatural it kind of gets maybe not
1: exactly and then also like you kind of get a little bit more powerful as you go right like resident evil you get a you know you get like a flamethrower at one point right mm-hmm. and then, like mm-hmm. you know like regardless of what kind of situation you're in you just feel a little more safe when you're carrying a flamethrower <laughs> um true and then eight in comparison was was way more like action focused like there there were times in eight where it was kind of scary and there was a definitely like one sequence in particular i'll always remember and i happened to be the one playing at the time and um you're kind of like walking around the village you sort of between them the main areas of the game you go to the village and you can kind of like explore a little bit more each time and so I was in this one house and there was like I can't remember exactly what it was but there was a note and it was like don't look out the window and I was like
0: oh Oh no
1: like uh oh and so I was like well I have to look out the window like of course I do and I look and there's nothing there I'm like Oh my god! Like I thought for sure there'd be like a monster, and he would jump scare me. And then as I went to leave the house, right after, that's when he jump scared me. And it was like the fake out it was so good, and I just like always classic. remember like ah, <laughs> you, know, you jump. That's and... like the
0: classic Paranormal Activity move. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They ya, you
1: know. And area two in um... that game for for the rest of the game not being that scary, and I would say that I I kind of felt a little bit let down playing it. Um, because I had the expectation especially coming off of seven that was a lot more horror versus action. I expected eight with the same protagonist to be a little bit scarier and it it really like it really wasn't. Um, most of it was kind of like really just cheesy and, and more funny than anything. Um, I didn't find a lot of the the enemies very like compelling or or believable um, but section two they take your guns away and put you in this house <laughs> and it is a real throwback to 7 and it is absolutely grotesque there's like the scariest type of monster i won't spoil what it is but it is the scariest type of monster and it chases you around and you have to hide under the bed and it is it is an absolute like the game hasn't prepared me for this moment so props to 8 for maybe having the scariest section um but i think I... I hope it
0: wasn't thomas the tank engine
1: dude <laughs> dude no that, that's that's the skyrim <laughs> special <laughs> um but yeah I, I think overall i hope selfishly that that resident evil goes with more of its seven roots but i i think uh people tend to like the I action I think they alternate games. it pretty
0: well you know i yeah. think they've got a pretty good 50 50 split among like their whole library really so i'm sure that we'll get more of both which is, I mean, it's probably good, probably good to have the variety. But um, how have we got this far without pl- talking about Bloodborne yet, Kate? You got to bring that up. Um, I remember yep. specifically, I mean, we've talked about Bloodborne so much on the show. I think I was just, I was trying to think back of like what to me was the creepiest part of the whole game or like the most off-putting thing. And I think it was the first time you, I entered Hemwick and had mm-hmm. there all the witches are like dancing around and being yep. all crazy and you yep. kind of the hear them talking the from the distance. and
1: cackling. They're and... dancing
0: around. For some reason, that one sticks out to me as, like, that was the pinnacle of of creepiness in Bloodborne. But there were so many times, like, entering Bergenworth for the first time and seeing yeah. that kind of whole display was was amazing. And, yeah, was just some of the jump scares, like, enemies coming around the corners, obviously, are, yeah. are big moments. But, yeah, Bergenworth to me Some werewolves jumping is, down uh, at you. Oh, man. Are there one are in lower Yharnam or whatever where they break through that glass window in mm-hmm. that long hallway? That scared the shit out of me the first that time. Scared I the that scared the shit out of oh me. Not
1: only did that scare the shit out of me the first time, but there's like another one in the area that does like the same thing to you. And so like it gets you like twofold depending on which like which way you go through the level. Um Yeah. 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 Bloodborne is, is a scary game. That's there's no joke about that. I think the one thing that keeps Bloodborne from feeling really scary to me is the amount of adrenaline that you have coursing through your brain or through your veins (laughs) and like how much your heart is pumping you. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have time to consider how scared you are in that game. It is an absolute, like it goes at like triple the speed that your life normally goes at when you're playing Bloodborne.
0: (laughs) I think the, I think the only thing that holds it back from being like legitimately my most frightening game experience is that because I'm not overly good at it, I died enough times to where I would experience the same areas over and over. And so the more familiar I became with it, the less I was kind of intimidated by the atmosphere. But I I know like getting to each area and seeing everything for the first time, if I was going to be someone who was, you know, not having too much trouble, not dying really, and just kind of speeding through, I think that would have made it even scarier.
1: And the sound design in that game is is phenomenal. And I think that's kind of like what horror games have as their strongest asset is, is how the sound plays at you. And Bloodborne definitely doesn't shy away from that. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head with, with dying is, is that there's that tension that you have of like staying alive in a horror game. And once you've died a couple times, especially if it's like a monster that is uh, concurrent throughout the entire game and you see that animation of when they grab you and they probably do some horrific things to your body and like you die in the most gruesome way but once you've seen that two or three times it's not as scary anymore and i think that's like kind of a subtle but key detail for bloodborne is that you die a lot and
0: mm-hmm. you don't
1: typically tend to die and like i mean it, it's horrible but it, it's not like the same kind of like gruesome cut scene that a horror game would play at you
0: right or it's, it's just, not like watching like a mortal Kombat finisher and yeah. they break your bones the same way every time yeah
1: exactly it's more of just like okay you died try again and so i think because you're you're constantly like you accept your death a lot quicker in that game and you're kind of like assuming that you will die a lot that it's it's not quite as tense to try to stay alive it's more of like you know strategizing and how am i gonna get go around this whereas when you're in a horror game especially if you've been going a long time you're not really sure how it's checkpointing it's like i can't die i can't die like i've made it this far like where is he i can't die and like with bloodborne too, it's like you you're strong too like you mm-hmm. you know how to carry yourself like you got a lot of options you can shoot it you can shoot your gun right in a monster's face and that is your best bet you got I can't. Yeah, you can have the cannon. Um, there's a flamethrower in that game too. Like, how safe is that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that
0: we would just say Bloodborne is easily the scariest of all the Souls. Like, I know the other ones are creepy here and there, but yeah. I don't think they're quite as horror entrenched. Um, I think as Bloodborne is. I think
1: definitely. I think um, a lot of some of the other games have like the gothic uh, sections, and there's definitely been some some scary moments in the other games for sure. Um, but Bloodborne is is definitely more. Putting its toe over the line in in terms of mm-hmm. of genre, um, which I, I'm a big sucker for the Lovecraft stuff, so I'm hundred percent on board with with Bloodborne's world, but definitely there's even a play section. It's funny when I was playing Demon Souls, because uh, going back to that after playing all of the other games, um you can really see the roots for everything. And there's one section in Demon Souls where it's just like, oh boy, like you thought it was like blood and fetuses and like grotesque, like, over the top like disgusting abomination monsters in in bloodborne there's a section in demon souls where you're like ah that's where they, that's where that came from like yep i've stepped <laughs> into I the, the bloodborne you're level about,
0: actually it's like everything's dripping with blood on the floor tri- right and, yeah and there's like you, cages yeah i, I have seen yeah, that. yeah
1: you descend into it's, this that's weird. That's thing like the and reference. there's these like little worm like fetus mm-hmm. little worms. it's a boss monsters. battle right down there um
0: there is a boss battle i think
1: there is. I'm trying to think of bosses not of that one. But yeah, it, it is. It just, yeah, you kind of like are descending and it just gets grosser and grosser as you go and these like horrible, like spidery kind of monsters. And it was just like, it's so Bloodborne. <laughs> I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um,
0: Another one I wanted to bring up too, mm-hmm. Um, Until Dawn and that yeah. that kind of Man of, Dan- Man of Medan series. More so Until Dawn, just because I think it's a better game. But I think um, the choose your own adventure is a really good style for a horror kind of game because... I think a lot of times when you're watching horror movies, it's easy to sit there and criticize like, oh, you idiot. Why did you go through the door? You know, you shouldn't have went in. But then in this game, you have to make decisions. And a lot of your decisions end up being also really stupid. And Sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But being in control of like that choose your own adventure style for horror, I think is just such a perfect match. And I, I really wish that there would be more attempts. I mean, I guess *Man of Medan's doing it, and you know, to varying levels of success. But um, it's just such a great game, like *Untold Dawn. I, I uh, really, really enjoyed that one.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that is is like the most underrated subgenre of horror games because, and I know a lot of people you can't really
0: think of too many other like there, examples. I haven't it, been really. too
1: too many, and I, there's like visual novels, which I guess is kind of like adjacent. But I think the Mm -hmm. difference with um, something like Until Dawn is that you don't have the, the time. Like there is always that tension of like when you make a decision, you have two seconds to make it and that's it. And like you're doing quick time events and there are consequences. Like in a regular horror game, if you get caught and you die, it sucks and it's spooky. But you go back to your last checkpoint and you try again until you get through the section. But in something like Until Dawn... There's an immediate consequence. You don't get to go back. Like maybe a character dies that could have survived otherwise, mm-hmm. or or you
0: got to take some weird path and someone else gets trapped somewhere else. Yeah, and you lose them instead. Or, Ex- or exactly, could be
1: everything just kind of compiles. And I think having that like immediate like consequence is not only good for for keeping the pacing and the tone consistent because. As we said, like, once you start dying and you start repeating a section, it's not scary anymore. It just becomes kind of tedious because the gameplay in horror games isn't usually the most fun type of game to play, right? You're playing for the atmosphere and the story and, and to be spooked out. So when you get stuck in a horror game or have to repeat it multiple times, it really starts to be a drag. So I think games like Until Dawn have a really big advantage over that because they don't stop for anything. They just keep going and, like you got to live with what happened um so i think that's really good and i think visual novels are are good for that sort of aspect as well Mm -hmm. the only Mm -hmm. thing that they can suffer from is that they can be kind of slow and the tension gets removed when you're just kind of reading text as opposed to like actively experiencing something um, but yeah.
0: I, have you played many horror visual novels or uh, the one I, mean, I can't really think of an example the
1: one i've played that that really stands out um and it is kind of like a joke game in a way um but i think it was really successful it was, was doki doki literature club
0: i want to play and that i've heard so many good things it's
1: really good and i just respect this game a hell of a lot for like what it was because i don't think As far as I'm aware, I don't think they really necessarily branded it originally as like a horror game because it starts out as like a dating sim visual novel. And it is like full on kind of like, you know, like the very like (laughs) stereotypical anime dating sim, like really kind of like you don't really want someone to walk in on you while you're playing this kind of thing. Yeah, no, no.
0: You'd have a lot Um, of explaining to do if, if you did. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so it just kind of starts to slowly introduce these horror elements like something weird will happen you're like oh that was strange but um okay I don't have to think too much about it and you continue on and and I don't know which of these four girls will all date and it just sort of these like cracks start to show and then by the end of it like it does some pretty unique stuff with like going into your save files and changing stuff and like you Mm -hmm. actually have to like access stuff on your like go into like where your saves are to access stuff and like kind of breaks the fourth wall a bit like that and um yeah like when it it kind of like gets that corrupt vibe and you're sort of like trapped and so there's there's an element of of you lose a bit of a non- Anonymity, is that how you say that word? I always have trouble with that. Anonymity. I Anonymity, think. yeah. So you, you lose that a bit. And that, I think that's unsettling because it's sort of like, you know, tries to, to blur that barrier of like, are you playing a game or like,
0: mm-hmm. are you directly
1: mm-hmm. involved? And so I, I think it was good. It Stuff definitely like that is super cool. Yeah. And I think it definitely felt unsettling. I don't think I ever felt like super scared playing it, but I really like the kind of like unsettling atmosphere um
0: it's funny you mentioned that like that type of horror because one of the best examples i can think of that and i just it just like popped into my head now was actually playing super hot and i don't know if you've played that before but mm-hmm. that game has kind of an ending where it breaks the fourth wall and, and it, it turns out like you're it shows you like at a computer and you have to kill yourself right oh and it, that like, is so cool. for that game, i guess but it's old enough, I figured it was safe, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pretty interesting, like the way that it breaks that. It's similar to like uh, Metal Gear, right? They started that with like remove your memory card or whatever, yeah, or play with the second yeah. controller. Yeah. Like, very cool way to, to uh, relate it back to being like, oh, is your house haunted? I don't know. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> that is super cool. And I, I think if anyone's interested in that kind of thing without spoiling anything, undertale i know undertale has a Mm -hmm. bit of reputation Mm -hmm. and some people are a little bit turned off by the community but genuinely that game is an absolute work of art and i think it is the king of incorporating that kind of element of like you as a player is not necessarily a character within the game but like you are your own entity that is not necessarily tied to the main character that you're playing as you are recognized as a player and the game really kind of fucks with your head a lot in that way and uh depending on what you do and how you approach the game the game kind of responds to you differently and oh, i i don't know if i would necessarily call that game scary but i think it's definitely I don't like think it's scary i don't think it's scary because like the game's very humorous and it does a lot of like you know, it's kind of silly and the atmosphere is really lighthearted, um, but it definitely has some serious moments that really give you that like bone chilling kind of feeling. And so it's not horror, but it, it it might be unsettling, like kind of horror adjacent at times.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think I was, it's funny. I was actually just playing Undertale yesterday a little, but we were starting a genocide run. Yeah. But um yeah, it's definitely got some it's just that little bit of unsettling. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Not horror, but unsettling. Um, I don't know. Did you have many more games you wanted to bring up here? I'm kind of, my list is running a bit thin.
1: Um, I have a story to tell you about what I think is the scariest moment I've ever had in a game.
0: Okay. Well, tell you what, I've got a list of just a couple games I want to mention okay. that are kind of like horror adjacent and then maybe we'll end on your story. Okay.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, okay. So I just wanted to bring up really quick, um, not really horror games, but um, first of all, shout out The Last of Us. You know, Zombies is kind of horror adjacent. Um, We've talked enough about that. Don't need to mention it too much more, but um, it's just such an amazing franchise. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, Another two I wanted to mention, Costume Quest, just because it is the Halloween (laughs) game. It's about trick-or-treating. Your costumes, whatever costume you're wearing, becomes the character you are in when you get into the battle. That game is adorable. Yeah. Yeah. If your trick or treaters, is wearing a robot costume, you turn into like a giant Megazord for the for the fight. So that's pretty fun. And the other one is Luigi's Mansion. I recently played um, Luigi's Mansion on the 3DS version when I was on a flight a couple of years ago uh, after never really having played the first one on GameCube. And it was great. I, I liked it. The Haunted Mansion is totally like a Disney kind of vibe, you know, like a Nintendo take on what a horror game would be. But uh, it's got some, I guess, like mildly scary jump scares in there and luigi himself is just so likable as like <laughs> a horrified protagonist just so, shaking
1: uh, the whole time <laughs> i think it
0: just works really well and uh yeah he's like sweating and crying and having a terrible time but he saves the day in the end uh, and so everything's good and so yeah i just wanted to shout those out as halloween adjacent um, yeah. games there
1: and i i love that as a second separate genre the kind of like like cute spooky atmosphere kind of stuff like something like costume across Luigi's Mansion like I like that Halloween has like there's the scary Halloween and then there's like the really cute spooky vibes Halloween and mm-hmm. I love that that's like its own thing now yeah um
0: even like Animal Crossing with like the decorations you can put up and stuff in there
1: yeah it's like its own like like aesthetic now and, and that's kind of cool um but yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave you then because yeah, I was thinking about it and I want to give just one quick honorable run-up mention to the end of the first Uncharted game. Really, really terrifying. Oh,
0: right, yeah.
1: Um, You're like down in the Surprisingly,
0: that, in that's that really vault. out of nowhere. Yeah,
1: you're down in that like Nazi bunker or wherever and like um, you find all those like horrifying like golem creatures that were corrupted by the treasure. And like, I remember that like... That really
0: hit me off guard when Yeah,
1: that I remember being terrified. I remember like sitting in like my parents' basement playing that game when I was like 16 and just being like terrified, like so scared. And I remember like I died a couple times and was having trouble beating it. And then like my mom called me. She's like, oh, like dinner. And I like had to like pause. And I was like, I don't want to have to come back to this. Like I don't want to have to go back down there after dinner. (laughs) And Of course, I beat it and it was fine. But I think like you don't expect Uncharted to be a scary game because, like, you know, Nate's just quipping the whole time and it's, you know, it's, it's light, pleasant in these beautiful jungles, but, like, holy shit, was that terrifying.
0: You think Nate's going to need some counseling sessions or something after that?
1: You'd really I would think imagine. So. And
0: also, like, murdering 50,000 people a game, but we'll, well, we'll maybe leave that one.
1: You know, we'll, you know, we'll gloss over that. <laughs> um, but I, I want to give for my, my favorite implementation of horror in a video game, I want to give the award to Hollow Knight, actually. And, so, I don't game know it is a big creepy. I don't know if you ever made it to Deep Nest., uh, but that mm, area so. that area f- fucks with you. That area takes you for an absolute ride, and it knows exactly what it's doing. Um so I think if if you haven't played Hollow Knight, um I think this is a game that really is best experienced. Uh, going in blind, and because the game's all about exploration, and so I would say, please stop listening. Play Hollow Knight. It is amazing. It's like ten bucks. It's like one of the most polished games I've ever played. There's no excuse not to play Hollow Knight. Um,
0: it's on everything too. It's
1: on everything. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely amazing. One day, Silk Song will be out, and so you don't want to have miss Hollow Knight. Um, <laughs>
0: one day, Silk Song will be
1: out. <laughs> words that never. The words that will not age well. Um, but anyway, so you know you. By the time you can make it to Deepnest, you've had to explore a bit of the rest of the game. You've gotten familiar at this point, like, you know, you've got your controls down, you know how enemies work um, when you walk onto a map. All the enemies that are there are already pre-on the map and, you know, you fight your way through and and the game's not, the game's atmospheric at times and, you know, there's a place that's a little bit somber and there's places that are a little bit more hopeful, but it's not a scary game by any means. And you get to Deepnest and now Deep Nest is one of the games that's like intended to be done a little bit later on, um, just in terms of like how much health the enemies have, um, and, and kind of some of the platforming sections. So you can make it to Deep Nest a lot earlier than you're kind of like intended to. Uh, and that's what happened to me and and when you go to deepness for the first time you fall into it so you can't really get out of it easily you kind of there's a way you can fall mm. in and then you're just sort of trapped there and you have to find your way out
0: and you went there unintentionally and then, i right? went like, there not knowing you weren't supposed unin- to go there yet
1: unintentionally like probably a little bit like i could have maybe had a couple upgrades for damage or something that would have helped me out and so i kind of fell in i wasn't expecting a, a spooky horror thing and the, the whole atmosphere like the music changes It's scary. There's all the sounds of like spiders scuffling in the background, but you can't see them. It's dark, so you can't see as much on the map as you normally would. Like when you look down, you can't see far enough down to know where you're going to jump into. So it's like blind leaps of faith. (laughs) And it just changes all of the rules on you. And you're not prepared because you think you understand what the game is like. And it throws you for this incredible curveball so when you're in deep nest enemies just spawn out of like they materialize on you and so you're taught that like when you walk in a room you see the enemies those you know cute little bugs and you fight them but in deep nest these horrific spider things just spawn in on you when you're walking around and
0: that's not cool. there's no
1: warning there's no no cool not cool and then You know, you're also taught in in Hollow Knight, you fight and then you have time afterwards in a fight. You're safe. You have a moment you can heal or, you know, check your map, whatever you need to do. But in Deepness, not only are there weird spawning monsters, sometimes monster corpses reanimate and come at you and... So you think you've killed you think you've killed them. Okay, it's time to heal after the fight. They reanimate and fight you, but they don't always reanimate. So then sometimes you're standing beside the corpse, like, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> I know you're gonna respawn, and then they don't. You're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm safe. And you turn around, and then maybe they do. <laughs> like, they just like there's not you can't use the game's internal consistency, um, and so you're constantly like on guard because. You, you no longer know the rules. You're no longer playing the same game that you were playing before. And, you know, there's, there's tons of, like, fake floors that you fall through and traps everywhere, and it's just genuinely, like, it feels so oppressive, and you just want to get out of there, but you don't know how, and... It kind of culminates in... It sounds like a
0: nightmare. Oh,
1: it's so good, though. I loved every second of it. I was like, this fucking game, you're cursing at it. You're swearing. You're so upset about the injustice of it all. And it's one of my favorite gaming experiences I've ever had. Because uh, it's just done <laughs> so... It's so well crafted. And there's this one room that really is the pinnacle of Deepnest. And, and I will say to you as well, like, once you know what Deepnest does, it's not hard. Like... Those enemies are easy to deal with once you know what they're going to do. But it's just you're so caught off guard is the problem that it takes you a little bit of time to kind of figure out. Like on a second playthrough, deepness is no big deal. But on your first playthrough, like it destroys your life. Um, but it kind of culminates in this room, which I think is the funniest thing in the whole world. But you go in this room and, and throughout Hollow Knight, you're finding these little grubs. And then these little like cute little worm things in these, in these jars and you break the jar and you save them and you can go to this room and you see how many you've saved and it's kind of like a little like side quest I guess you're on to save all these little grubs and they're so cute. Nice little collection. Exactly and they're so cute you get rewards for like you know benchmarks of how many you've saved. So you go to this room in deepness and there's a grub and you're like oh good like how cute I'll go save the grub and you go and you um, hit it and then it turns into a mimic. And you've never seen a mimic before in Hollow Knight. You're like, oh, fucking course. Deepness has mimics. Awesome. So you fight him. And then you keep going a little bit more in the room. And of course, it's dark. You can only see so far ahead of you. So you go a little more and you find another grub. And you're like, okay, this is the actual grub. This is my reward for fighting that stupid mimic grub. (laughs) How cruel. So you hit it. And it's another goddamn mimic. (laughs) And you're like, wow, this piece of shit game. You beat him and you continue on. And there are... Like there's one, another mimic. And then you're like, okay, I don't trust this because now I'm like, I've seen a pattern. I'm not going to be the fool three times in a row. You're not going to do me dirty like this, Hollow Knight. So you walk past it and then you find pretty much right after there's a fourth one. So there's four total. And you're like, okay, I see what you're playing at. You thought I just hit this third one again thinking it's my reward, but secretly it's this fourth one that was a little bit further along. So I'm just gonna hit this fourth one and leave the dumb third one. I've figured you out. I've outsmarted you, Hollow Knight. No, it's the third one that's the real one. (laughs) So you hit four. (laughs) Another goddamn mimic. Three is the good one. And it's just like, I can only imagine what psychopaths came up with this room. And that to me is like, if I could work on video games, if I ever got into the industry and I was, you know, like in some kind of like lead design role, that's the kind of dumb room shit that I would make up because I don't know what it is. I must have some kind of like sick tendency oh, to games, you're cruel. but you're like, cruel. I just love it. Like <laughs> Sen's Fortress is probably one of my favorite areas in Dark Souls. Like I just love these stupid, horrible yeah, trap yeah. things where it's like, come on, like, how mean could you possibly get? And I just think it's so funny. And yeah, Hollow Knight is the, the absolute culmination of that dumbass mimic room. There's nothing else in the game like it, but stupid deepness just has to get you one more time to kick you while you're down. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any fun examples, though, <laughs> of fun moments in horror games or games you find that had scary moments, I'd love to hear about it. So please write into our email at circlesandsquarespod at gmail.com. Um, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter as well, um, at C and S pod. All the links are down in the description of the show notes and whatever, too. But um, we'd love to hear what your favorite horror games are. Um, I'm sure there's so many we didn't get to talk about, obviously. There's probably people that have played all the, you know, the hit ones on Steam that we've just never even heard of. So, yeah, let us know. It's interesting. And we might check them out, too, especially the... Uh, Kate, with your uh, little group, you (laughs) like to play the horror games, so you never know. Um, But just because it is the end of the show, we do have a listener mail question to get through first. And Kate, what's our question for the day?
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a fun question today. Um, Just a cute little one here. And it is, what is... Oh, hang on. Sorry, one second. It's, what's your worst experience playing a video game? Um, That comes from Matthias. So this is kind of like... We can kind of take this in a few ways. I think we both went down a, a cute little route because, you know, like there's there's definitely been some stinkers we've played, and there's definitely uh, some yeah. games. Where I like, mean, we can go know, this get a garbage, license but... game
0: on Game Boy Advance. Like we've had a few of those. In the yeah, day. I had a
1: Shrek game, <laughs> and oh my god, do you remember how bad that Shrek game was? <laughs> it was
0: terrible. It was it was legitimately one of the worst was, things I've ever yeah. played in my life really terrible um i don't know i don't want to talk about that too much though i mean i have a i have a pretty good one i I thought of the other day i mean i've i bagged on la noir that other episode so i didn't want to go down that route again Um, but i was just thinking about experiences i had recently and the one that came to me was something i was kind of excited for was i had a group of me and a couple friends or we had a group of four of us and we wanted to play um payday because we thought Mm -hmm. hey the heists are pretty cool Uh, um you know a lot of people like those in gta but we don't have gta so let's just pick this up on a sale and it would be cool to like you know Oh, I'm a getaway driver. I'm going to go rob this bank and, I, and you know, I'll take down the security mm-hmm. and I'll have your role and, and pull off the heist. Like, that sounds very uh, interesting. And the game itself isn't bad, but we just had such a buggy experience with it. And I mean, on, for one thing, I guess it doesn't really or we didn't feel it onboarded you very well. Like the, the game seems to have a lot of mechanics that it just doesn't really teach you. And even though we were trying to be as stealthy as we possibly could. We always would get seen, and it would just become like a big gunfight. And that's really not what the game's about. But there was this one time when, like, for example, I actually almost, I threw a grenade by accident one time trying to be stealthy, and it just completely ruined the whole mission. Um, but there was this one time where we actually were fairly stealthy, and we pulled off, you know, uh, the mission, and we did have these bags of money we were carrying out of a the bank. I think we did get seen at the end. But the thing happened where we actually managed to do it with, like, you know, no glitch just happening everyone could connect to the game um it was going well but then at the end you had to run back to the getaway car and there's this zone you stand in to complete the mission where it's like okay now you've loaded it in um you can leave and we just had this ridiculous glitch that happened again where one of us just couldn't it didn't work Mm -hmm. it didn't register that they were standing in the box so we just couldn't even complete it after the one successful attempt we'd had and it just became this like the anticipation of how fun it would be to work as a squad like that kind of just really got melted down and and like was ruined just by kind of a unfortunate buggy experience and so um i think that's definitely probably the worst experience i've had in in a while just in terms of like the game really didn't have a fair chance because it didn't work properly
1: mm-hmm. and that yeah and that's a shame and that's just something you can't get past like I, thinking about it too like hunter's arena is another one of those games where like i was actually mm, looking mm-hmm. forward to playing that when we had it uh free for ps plus
0: yeah it seemed cool i think that cool. was
1: yeah back in like it was a few months ago now it's like last month already right? um yeah and i was i was kind of looking forward to it and it was just so buggy it just ran so horrible and like laggy and i just like you know people would just be teleporting around and there was just no semblance of of it being like a a game I could actually play and so that was disappointing. Well, wasn't that the one
0: that they didn't have the uh they didn't have the server anywhere near our region yes. or something like that?
1: Yeah I think that might yeah. have been it um so I mean that didn't help and, and maybe it's better now but it was just such a letdown because I'd actually been kind of looking forward to it um I think like the other shout I can give is like Tony Hawk's the worst game ever made so we know that <laughs> <laughs> um
0: god damn tony hawkins
1: leave the guy alone sorry leave him alone i'm sorry tony (laughs) (laughs) um but i I think with what i've played recently and and i think like you know maybe it's just part of you know having limited time to play games now is i typically tend to have a pretty good idea if i'm gonna like something before i i play it like you know like there's only so many options so many games you can you can realistically have time for now so i kind of save it for the heavy hitters um I would say the, the game I've played that I've been the most bored playing lately, which is never a good thing. So I've played some bad games, but had fun with them. Especially when you're playing with friends and you're just kind of making yeah, fun of it. And like, uh, I remember last New Year's we played, oh, what was it even called? It was like Loot Quest or something. It was like this I remember horrible, you talking about that on the show. It was so It was so, so funny. bad. It was the worst game. Like it, it was worse than Tony Hawk. I will I will go on the record saying that was a terrible game. But we were just like... You know, we'd had a couple drinks or whatever, and we were just like having so much fun. We must have played for like at least four hours, and it was just (laughs) I I think like you can have a good time with anything, you know. Sometimes you watch a bad movie for the sake of watching a bad movie just to to have a laugh. But when I played Wreckfest back in I think it was May for PS Plus, I've never been so genuinely just bored playing a game. And I think (laughs) I think that's the worst that you can really get because at least if a game's bad it maybe it has something interesting that it it tried and just didn't succeed like you know if it's buggy or something you just stop playing if you know you you have some kind of takeaway normally when you play a game and you know this is your spare time this is what you're doing for entertainment you want to have something tangible but with Wreckfest I just I felt nothing I felt dead inside when I played that game (laughs) and so um yeah it's probably been one of my worst gaming experiences of the year, just because it was just it was just sad it was just an hour I'll never get back of my life, <laughs>
0: well, you know, Kate, in the spirit of Halloween. <laughs> That sounds truly horrifying, and I'm sorry. Uh, you had to experience that for the greater good of this this podcast. Um, and I'll
1: do it again. But yeah, guys,
0: like I said before, like I said before, get in touch with us if you have some bad gaming experiences to share as well. Um, hopefully, you guys don't have too many uh, experiences like the one Kate had with Recfest. But if you did, let us know. And um, look out for us next Monday with the next episode of the Circles and Squares News Report, which will be uh, exactly a week from when you listen to this. So uh, until then, we'll see you next time.